Our study today is entitled, How Do I Look? How do I look? Now, you know, you probably ask yourself this question at least once a day. At least 365 times a year, you have asked yourself this question. You wake up in the morning, and you open your eyes, and you wonder, how do I look? Maybe you don't want to look in the mirror right away. Maybe you want to take a shower, eat something, feel better, drink some water, get dressed up, and then you look in the mirror. How do I look today? And you think, let me tweak this. Let me comb my hair a certain way. Let me put more makeup on, you know? And we try to fix ourselves because we want to look good, right? Who wants to go out into the world not looking good? I have a confession. I slept in today. I slept in today and I left the house without looking in the mirror. <laughs> and I thought to myself, how do I look today once I got in the car? Have you seen my hair? I mean, it's normally disheveled. But today it's like beyond disheveled. Okay? How do I look today? You know what? It's an interesting question when we, when we stop and look at that. How do I look? Okay. Now let's just change the way that we ask this question. How do I look? You might ask somebody. What are you asking? You're asking for their opinion. You're asking them how they see you. How do I look? Let's change the question. Let's say, how do I look? Right away, we start looking at that question differently. How do I look at what, you know? How do I look? Here's another question. How do I look at scripture? How do I look at God? How do I look at others? It's not about you anymore. You're looking outward. Instead of how do I look, you're asking other people to tell you about you, right? And when you ask yourself that question in the morning, how do I look? You're still being the judge of how you look. And you hope other people will see you the same way you saw yourself after you fixed yourself up, okay? How about how do I look? How do I look? What's the process in what I'm looking at? How do I look at scripture? In what manner? Okay, it changes our perspective just by changing the intonation. Same question, several different meanings, right? Now we have God's Word, and I struggle with this a lot. I read through God's Word, and I open it up, and I read something, and I get an understanding of what that scripture says, that passage says. And then I go and talk to a brother or sister, and they're reading through the Bible. They read the same passage, and they come to a completely different understanding of what we both just read. How do I look at scripture? How do I approach it? What sort of eyes do I, I look with? Okay? That's what we're studying today. This is so important, friends. This is so important because we all have this Bible ready for us to pick up at any bookstore. We have it on our apps, on our phones. We could all be reading the same thing and all be coming to very different conclusions about what God says in his word. This is so important. How are we approaching Scripture? How do we see God? How do we see his word? How do we see his truth? 
It's not about you today anymore, friends. How do I look? We're talking about how do I look at God's scripture and his truth. Heavy subject, hey? Here we go. Buckle up. It might sound like a philosophy class with our first section. What is and what I think is. What is and what I think is. Okay, let's go to the next slide. Isaiah 55, 8 to 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Have you heard this passage before? Yeah? Sometimes I think we read it and all we see is, okay, well, God thinks differently than I do. It's like otherworldly. So why should I even bother try to comprehend what his ways and his thoughts are? I can't get it because his ways are higher than mine. I could accept that. Why? I'm only human, and he's the almighty God, right? So we just accept it, and that's like saying, listen, you see something one way, I see something another way. Let's just agree to disagree. Do we ever do that with God's word? We read through scripture and we come across something that we don't agree with. And we're like, God, you know what? I know this is where you stand, but this is where I'm at right now. Let's just agree to disagree. Why are you opening up his word in the first place? Do you want to know his truth? How are you approaching scripture? Okay, we're just posing some things here. God's truth is, what I think God's truth is, usually isn't, okay? Truth versus reality. We are living in a time where people are encouraged to speak your truth. Hashtag my truth. I disagree with you. You offended me. I'm going to speak my truth. You know? Every time you're backed into a corner and you feel, I need to assert myself, I'm going to hashtag my truth. And we try to impose our view, our worldview, on how things have to be because this is how I see things, this is what the truth is, and you need to enter into my reality. Who's the center of that world? You are. So if I have one perspective of the way that things ought to be, and Chris Alito has another perspective, and Faye has another perspective, and we all get together for access, and we open up God's word, and we start to read, and we say, I think God's saying this. Somebody else says, no, but I think he's really saying this. And they're like, what do you know? No, he's actually saying this because how are we approaching the scripture? Mm -hmm. We interpret it the way we want it to make sense for us so that we could eat it and say, I've done my part. I'm accepting what God says. We're all eating from the same plate. We're all getting some different sort of nourishment. Truth versus reality, what's the difference? See, truth is truth. Reality is how we perceive things. So what some people's reality is, you know, they might be struggling financially, they might be struggling uh, getting work, they might be struggling with sickness, whatever it is, that's their reality, that's their lot in life. It's true that they are living this way. 
That's their reality. Somebody else is living a different reality. But they're all living here in the same world, interacting with one another. But truth is not relative to you. Truth, this concept of truth, it's absolute. Okay? You know when you go to a courtroom and people give their account of what happened. Through their eyes, they witnessed what happened and they will give their testimony based on what they saw from their perspective. But when it all comes down to it, the police aren't looking necessarily at their perspectives. They're looking at the actual um, line of events, sequence of events that actually happened. Okay? Because the truth is, this is how it happened. The reality is how people experience what actually happened. You see? Now we hear that God's word remains. God's word is constant. God's word never changes. It is truth. It is absolute. There's nothing you could say that's going to come here and change God's message. You could interpret it a certain way and write a paraphrase. But God's truth will remain his truth. Just because you chose to twist it doesn't make his truth any less true. Right? All those things could go together. My truth, hashtag. Hashtag personal worldview. Hashtag I am my own. There was this one singer, she had a song. Her first album was called, I Am Who I Am. I am who I am, who I am. You don't know the song, okay. <laughs> yeah, but she was all about herself, and apparently the song didn't do too great anyway, obviously. Hashtag offended, right? Hashtag lies, lies, lies. There's one hashtag that could trump all those things. Hashtag trust his truth is truth. Trust his truth is truth. Can you trust that? Or do you go to God's word not trusting him, not trusting what he has to say, skeptical about everything that he has in his word? Are you approaching him with trust or doubt? Your experience of God's word will be very different depending on how you choose to approach him and what he has to say. Okay? Look at this. How do you respond when you come across something in Scripture that you don't like or agree with? Hmm? Turn the page, skip over it, read a little quieter. You don't declare it as loudly, you know. It's your turn to read the verse in Access, and you're like, oh, no, I'm struggling with this. They're all going to judge me. You know, I don't want to read this. You read it, you know. How do you respond when you come across something in Scripture that you don't like or agree with? Let's talk about this. There's no right or wrong. It's simply, how do you respond? The floor's open. I don't want to preach at you. We're here to study together. You turn the page, somebody said. What else? How do you respond? Do you just ignore it, pretend like you never read it? What are some of the things? Let's say... Jesus says in Scripture to hate your brother or sister, it equates to murder. If you hate somebody, you're a murderer. You like that? No? 
If you see somebody in need, you know what? If they ask for your, if they ask for something, give it to them. You know, I don't want to give it to them. It's mine. God says, "Love your neighbor." I hate my neighbor, but I don't want to be a murderer, so I'll be nice. I'll pretend, you know, because do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I hate you, but I'm going to smile because I'd rather see your smile than your scowl. It would be difficult. I think it would be difficult for some people that operate that way, that they need to have all the facts before they can make that decision. There are other people that they don't know, but based on what they hear, we decide whether or not we like it. It's kind of like when we preview something on, when we preview something on Netflix, and we see whether or not we want to go further with it, because something hooks us, and we think we know enough about it that we, okay, I'm going to watch it. I think we approach God's word the same way. We hear something that captures our attention, whether positive or negative. But whatever it is that curiosity gets us and we want to go further with it, whether we trust what it has to say or not, that will depend on, I guess, what we come to, right? Those, those things that we start to know, the bits of information that we collect. Then we could make some sort of judgments about it for ourselves and where we, how we choose to interact with that word of God, right? Yes. Wow, he was honest. <laughs> he was honest, you know. Could I have some money for drugs? What would you do in that situation? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't have to reason with it. It's your choice to do what you want in that situation. Somebody asks you for something. You know what? If God, if we ask God for something that's not good for us, that won't help his cause, are we going, is he going to give that to us? He's a loving God. He's not going to give us what we ask him for, but he might allow us to go down that path that we choose that's apart from him. Trust me. <laughs> I'm going to buy books. Trust me. Buy books. Anytime someone says, trust me. <laughs> yeah, that would come down to the person themselves. I think here's the thing. What do you value more? Do you value the money that you're holding? Do you value the well-being of the person that you're interacting with who's asking? Right? I need money for books. Okay, but he's really going to use it for drugs. We don't know. But in good conscience, okay, I gave it to him, believing it was for books. But you make your decisions based on whatever information you have. Right? Let's say a little bit of information may change the way you perceive a situation. May I have some money? Okay, but it's for drugs. No. It's my money. I don't want you spending it on that. We're still holding on to that money. But once you release it, it's not yours anymore. You're not really responsible for what somebody else chooses to do. Okay? Yeah. 
<laughs> Thank you. Ouch. No, what do you think? It's just the way it's done. I mean, it's done in the way that it's done. Sure. Absolutely. Okay, I see a lot of good discussion going on here. Our intention, yeah. know the person based on whatever information you have you're gonna make those judgments right um let's go on a little tangent here okay so for myself anytime that I choose to give regardless of what they choose to do with that it's up to me what am I going to do right now am I gonna give or not give that's all I have to answer but when I give when I choose to give and I ask God for guidance as well Okay, because God knows their heart. He knows what's going on with them more than I do. And if there's something in my spirit that says no, it's not based on what is going on in my head or what I think about them, but it's like, hold on, it feels very as though God's impressing me, don't give. So my no is no, and my yes is yes. But if I do release anything, guess what? I don't release just money. I don't release just an article of whatever. I release a prayer. Release a prayer because God loves a cheerful giver, mm-hmm. all right? And when we give with the attitude and the intention, whatever's in our heart and our spirit, to do so, trust that God, that's a blessing from God, mm-hmm. okay? Blessed is the one who gives. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Mm-hmm. Don't be so karipot all the time, man. Is, did I say that right? <laughs> karipot, man. Don't be so stingy, so tight-fisted, you know? Don't be so, you don't want to give it up, all right? Don't be so cheap, all right? Nothing we have is ours. Everything we have, it it belongs to God. He's just allowed us to manage more portions or less portions Mm -hmm. of what is God's, okay? So we use it for God's purposes, not our own, okay? Yeah, God's truth is what I think God's truth is usually isn't. Okay, so here we're talking more not about the giving, but we're talking about the taking from Scripture. Okay? Here are just some verses um, put together about who God is and why his truth is this absolute truth, and he has the only right to declare this is what is. Okay? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Before the mountains were brought forth, or even you form, oh, sorry, or ever you formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our God is the ever-living, eternal God, okay? He was there from the beginning of time. In the beginning, guess what? He was. Mm -hmm. He was already there before time began. Anything of our existence that we've known, God is outside of this time and space. He is sovereign over it all. What we are um, confined to, God is not confined to. Mm -hmm. He knows the beginning. He knows the end. He knows your entire lifeline. Here we are trying to figure out, what am I supposed to do with my life? How am I going to live this out? You know what? God created you. Mm-hmm. Who created you? God. God. Okay? He invented you. All right? And he has a purpose for you as well. You want to know what your purpose in life is? 
Who do you go to? The one who made you. All right, I want to learn how to use a toaster. I don't go to the guy that created the water faucet. Because the guy with the toaster will know what that toaster was meant for and how to use it and what its purpose is. Okay? If we go to the world looking for what our purpose is, we're going to the wrong place, the wrong source. So we go to God, our creator, the one who purposed us when he invented us. Okay? And he remains the same. He is constant yesterday, today, and forever. Let's look at what God says about himself in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I, what shall I tell them? God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Weird, right? What's your name? I am. You are who? <laughs> you know, what's your name? What am I going to tell them? I am who I am. Only God is the one that is able to claim this title, I am. Okay? He is self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything beyond himself. He doesn't need it. Okay? When God identified himself as I am who I am, he stated that no matter when or where, he is there. I am, the verb to be. What is the verb to be? Is, right? What I think is actually isn't. But what God says is, is what is. You follow? Because he is the great I am. Anything outside of his existence that is not of God isn't. It's a lie. That's all that it is. God is truth. Anything apart from God's truth is a lie. Clear? So our perspective when we look at God's word, we should come with that understanding. God knows who he is. He knows what he said about himself. Jesus was the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word became flesh. That's Jesus. Okay? He knows what he's talking about, and he has a message for each of us. The question is, are we getting the message? He wrote this long love letter to us through all the prophets and all these people through the ages, and he made sure that his words ended up in your hands because he wants to make it easier for you to know him. He doesn't make it hard. He is a God of mysteries, but he wants to reveal his mysteries to you, so he leaves us clues hidden away generation after generation, for centuries. This simple-looking book right here is the best-selling book in the world ever. It sold the most copies. It's been given away, duplicated, more times than any other book in all of history. God's Word is all over this place. It's been spoken out loud. It's been shared amongst others, you know, and it's just God's Word continues to go on and on. It's what it's meant to do. It's what God wills. And what God's will is, will be done. Regardless of what you choose to do with it. 
I am who I am. He promises that he will be what he will be. That is, he will be eternally constant God, so we could trust him. Ever-present and unchangeable, completely sufficient in himself to do what he wills to do and accomplish what he wills to accomplish. Let's get back into the study with Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did God really say that? You know, someone tells you, you know, God doesn't like what you're doing. Oh, really? Yeah, it says so in the Bible. Really? Show me where. And you don't know the verse. I, I don't know the verse exactly, but it's somewhere in the Bible. I could Google it. Did God really say that? And then you come to it and you take the verse out of context. You don't understand anything around what God was saying in that passage, to who was he speaking, you know? We don't have any of the information, all right, about the context of that message, okay? When we approach scripture, some people approach it literally and tear it apart into bits. And these literal things, these phrases that they take out of context, they choose to live their life and apply that to their lives like a fortune cookie, right? What's your favorite Bible verse? Oh, I love that verse. You know, that's my life verse. And we hold on to that, but we don't even understand the context of that verse. All right? You put it in a selfie. Take a picture of yourself. This is my life, my life verse. And we try to apply it to ourselves. Well, what did God really say? See here, in the Hebrew, it's clear that the serpent here, he's acting surprised as he attempts to plant doubt in Eve's mind. Like, why would God say that? That doesn't make any sense. You see here how he misquotes God first. Did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? He misquotes God, and eventually he ends up just denying God's word entirely. Oh, you won't die. You won't surely die. Just take a bite. The enemy uses the same tactic today with all of us. You disagree with what God said? Oh, but did God really say that? Let me just interpret it the way I want to interpret it so that I could eat it. Eve ate it. And what happened? It was too late. She discovered after the fact. I thank God that God is gracious. I thank him that he is merciful and his mercies are new every day. I'm thankful that he is loving and he wants to reveal his truth to me. Because each day, you know what? I still fall. And each day, guess what? He's still teaching me. But I feed on his word. If your digestive tract is like full of junk and you try to eat really healthy food because you want to be healthier, but your body can't absorb all those healthy nutrients, it's because the environment which this good food is coming into is a hostile environment that cannot absorb those good nutrients. Our sinful hearts and our darkened spirits are like that hostile environment when we want to feed on God's truth. We're so broken in the life that we live. We're so ugly in our sin. And we want 
God, I just want a little bit more of your good, healthy food today, so I'm going to read your scripture and just feed me and uh, it churns your stomach and you can't stomach it. His truth is too much to take sometimes. How did you approach his word then? Still filled with all the crap of the world. That when God's truth comes into that crappy environment, it just gets lost in all the crap. You can't absorb it. It doesn't benefit you. You can't understand it. Did God really say that? different perspectives, right? It's just a change in the way that we see things. Yes? Taking what sounds like truth the, the devil, you know what, he masquerades around like an angel of light. He will present himself as a prophet of God in some way, a, a man of God, and yet he gets in there and twists God's truth just a little bit. Okay. How often do we look at scripture simply with the purpose to see what God really says about something? We're not actually reading it to know God's truth. We don't care about God's heart. We just want to see, well, what did God really say? So we treat it like an English textbook, okay, like a research book. How do we know what God means in his word? You see it one way. I see it another way. What is God really saying? And we sit around in church and debate it till Jesus comes again because we can't agree on God's word. Remember, it's God's spirit that reveals the truth to us, okay? God's spirit reveals the truth to us. Remember, we, we talked last week about how after Jesus ascended to his father, he sent a helper to the apostles who were all sitting in one place on, on the uh, day of Pentecost. And we get the picture of God's spirit coming down and infiltrating this body of believers, this body of apostles there. And, and God's spirit empowers them, enables them, and then sends them out to go do God's work. And what that represents there, God's temple, where his presence is, is no longer in a building, a physical building. Remember from Ezekiel's vision, God's presence left the temple because they were worshiping other gods in that place. Ezekiel sees God's presence leave and God's presence goes into exile with his people. He chases after them. He hasn't given up on them. He hasn't left them despite their disobedience. But then he gets another vision of God's presence coming in and filling the new temple, the new temple with a stream that comes out. Remember that? The stream that comes out of the temple, and it's a new creation. When God's presence came down on the apostles, this was the new temple he was talking about. The body of believers, you are that temple. And God's spirit makes his dwelling amongst, in the hearts of all his, the true believers. Okay? So you are that temple. 
where God's presence dwells. If you want to understand what his scripture says, do you go to, I don't know, all the different commentaries that were ever written? Somebody else's opinion about what God said? Or do you pray and seek God through his word and trust that his spirit will whisper all the secret things of God and reveal the mysteries of God to you? Because when we do that, friends, we could gather together and access again, read the same scripture, and when we all come to the same understanding of that scripture, there's something unifying about that. And you see how God could work amongst many people, not because one guy shared his opinion and everybody agreed. No. We could be reading the same thing apart, come together, and trust that God has led us to the same truth in his word. That's how God works. And we can't claim that, oh, I know God's word. I'm proud about that. You know, I know more than you do. You just change the way how you approach scripture. What is your intent? So look at this. A lot of what we think we understand in scripture is based primarily on how we choose to interpret. Everybody say interpret. Again, interpret. Do you like interpreting the Bible? Or are you, are you afraid that you make a mistake when you do so? A lot of what we think we understand in Scripture is based primarily on how we choose to interpret the passage. And that will always depend on two things. Our intent and what lens we are looking through as we approach Scripture. What lens are you looking through? How do you see God's Word? What lens are you looking through? The devil and the world tries to cloud the lens. So you get a skewed perspective of God's truth. Mm -hmm. So you're looking through a cloudy lens, not getting a clear picture. We'll talk a little bit more about this in a second. Sometimes we go to scripture and uh, we... we Rely on our own understanding of God's word. The Bible says, don't rely on your own understanding. Trust God instead. Look at what it says in Proverbs 26, verse 12. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. <laughs> I don't mind being a fool. And I don't even claim to know it all, you know, like far from it, dude. Like I'm preparing these studies week after week after week. And I just pray to God. I'm like, God, what would you have us study together? It's not even about what I'm bringing. I'm just like, God, what would you have us study together? And then I get a word from God and he leads me through his truth. And it all comes together. And I have a very busy life. A lot of kids running around. Got a very busy life. And, you know, people say, I don't have time to read. You know what? I don't have time to read the Bible as much as I, I'd like to. Okay. Um, I haven't even been able to get our studies together by Thursday because that's when we have our access groups. It's late in the night on a Friday night when the whole week has passed and the kids are finally sleeping. So that's like past midnight. And I'm getting a word from God, and he keeps me awake, and he gives me the clarity. And I just, 
start putting down together whatever it is he's leading me to, and that's how we get these studies. It's not my ideas being forced down or shoved down anybody's throat. I'm just sharing with you what God has led me to. And I've prayed about it, and I trust God in how he's been leading our ministry in the past five years. Okay? How many of you have, have grown a little bit? Maturity, spiritual maturity. How many of you are starting to understand more of God's word and his truth? Yeah, you know, and even the way that we've been behaving toward one another, I think we've grown in maturity as a community where there's healing, there's forgiveness, right? We're starting to be the church together. I can't take any credit for that because that is the work of God in his family, okay? When we choose to obey God, he will use you, okay? Just keep obeying him. Whenever we come across something in scripture we don't like, we have a choice to make. Either we accept by faith that God is good and his view is right, or we set ourselves up as the authority and begin down the path of pride that will ultimately lead to destruction. So two things. We either tremble at his word or we rebel against it. That's it. So when you come across something you don't like or you don't agree with in the Bible, you have a choice to make. God knows what he's talking about. I agree with God or... I know better than God does. I'll be wise in my own eyes, thank you, God. And then pride creeps in, and you're going down that slippery slope there. You rebel against it, just as Eve did in the garden. Talking about um, perspectives. You know, we always talk about Adam and Eve in the garden. She bites the fruit, and they're cast out. I always stop to wonder, though, and we don't talk about it much. Why did Adam take the fruit, too? Up to that point, Adam did his job. But women today say, oh, where was Adam? He should have been watching Eve, you know? Why did, why did he let her go off on her own? There was no evil, you know? It's like, go eat from the trees, Eve, you know? Eve knew the word from God because God spoke it to Adam. Adam did his job and shared it. But Eve still did what she chose to do with that information. She made her choice. But why did Adam make the choice. Eve didn't deceive him. He knew what God said. Eve, what did you do? I'm convinced. I got this fresh perspective just last night talking with my wife. Adam didn't have to eat the fruit. He could have just made, God could have made him another helper, gotten rid of Eve. Onto something better, you know? But Adam is already a type of Christ who reveals the heart of God because he loved Eve. He went with her into exile because God loved his chosen people, the Israelites. When they were exiled to Babylon, God's presence went with them. Throughout scripture, we get this picture of a God who pursues, a God who loves. And he could have done things another way, but he's faithful. And he doesn't give up on us. So when I read scripture and I come across something I don't agree with, 
And I feel like, oh, God's condemning me because he doesn't agree with my lifestyle. Why should God agree with your lifestyle? This is God's truth. Why don't you agree with the way he sees things? I don't want to change. Guess what? You're not God. Only God is the constant one who never changes. You're not God. I don't want to change for God. Who are we? Mere mortals, human beings created by God. We're just created beings. We were created in his image, yes. Maybe that's why we have that attitude. I deserve more than this. God wants to give you more than this, but not as you are. He wants to change you so that you could have more than this. Why did Eve eat the fruit? She wanted more than what was already given to her. Why did the devil fall in the first place, Lucifer from heaven? He wanted more. He wanted to be God. He wanted in. He wasn't satisfied with what God had given him. How about us? We pray to God, come on, God, give me more. He's like, aren't you satisfied with the very breath in your lungs today? Aren't you satisfied that I opened your eyes today? Aren't you satisfied that you get to walk another day with me and learn of me? Your time's not up yet, friends. God still has a plan for you, and he hasn't given up on you. And if you wonder why you have to wake up in the morning, it's because he still has something to teach you. Are you listening? How do I look today? Absolutely. It's mind-blowing, isn't it? The same story we've been studying for years and years. It's like the first story you hear about in the Bible. And how many of us have had that perspective before to see God's heart in the story through Adam? Maybe Adam also felt responsible uh-huh. for what was there because the command was given to him. Yeah. was not given to Eve. Yeah. So Eve got it secondhand from Adam. Uh-huh. And maybe he felt And that's the whole point of it all, though. Because God knew they were going to do that anyway. Right? Because God knew he would do that anyway. But if God knew that we were going to fall, that we were going to be sinful, why would he create this world? Well, it's not for your sake. It's for the sake of his glory. It's for the sake of his name. So that he could be seen as a good and fair judge. Right? That he doesn't control anybody, like he doesn't force himself on anybody else. If you choose him, you choose him. That's it. Mm -hmm. He'll never force himself on you. But his character is shown, let's look at it this way. If you lived in a perfect paradise and there was no conflict whatsoever, you would know nothing else beyond that. Mm -hmm. Okay? The father of lies, the serpent, was in that garden. In that perfect place, God allowed 
this serpent to be there. Like he planted this garden knowing the serpent was going to try and infiltrate. All right? It's all part of the big plan. It's all part of the big picture, you see. Because now, after Adam and Eve, their eyes were open to this new spiritual awareness that they didn't have before. Right? They didn't understand really what it meant to disobey God. But when they did, their eyes were opened, knowing right from wrong. And then God allows his whole story to play out, revealing his character of love, of forgiveness, of mercy. He shows that he won't force you to choose him, but he'll do everything to show you how much he loves you. What are you going to do with that? The Bible isn't just a bunch of small stories put together. It's one big story. It's one big picture. It's God's message to us to reveal what his plan is. And he wants you to find yourself in his story. Here we are saying, God, come into my heart, come into this world, show yourself to me, me, me. When I call on you, when I'm ready for you, come on, God, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. As though God still has to prove himself to you. He's already done it all. And he has a message that he, he's trying to share with us, friends. But are we listening? Are we looking at God's heart? Do we care that there's somebody chasing after us no matter how far away we run? Question. Do you see a sinner or a saint? How do I look? When you look at yourself, do you see a sinner or a saint? Anybody here? Do you see yourself as a sinner? Show of hands. Sinner? Do you see yourself as a saint? So we see ourselves as sinners. Why? People will say, oh, well, because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Are you what you do? Are you what you do? Are you defined by what you do? Or do you do what you do because of who you are? If you know yourself, then that will dictate how you choose to live out your life. It will dictate all the choices you make and what you choose to do. But the world says, no, this is what you do, so this is who you are. You meet someone for the first time. Hi, I'm Tim. How are you? Good. Um, tell me about yourself. Oh, well, you know, I work at a clinic. Tell me about you. Well, you know, I work over there. Tells me nothing. Oh, I work at Starbucks. Okay, so I have preconceived ideas about people who work at Starbucks. And I have now just clumped you and limited you into that group of, wow, those Starbucks people. Oh, I work at Center for Vein Care. Oh, you're one of those. We define ourselves based on what we do. But that's not who you are. One day you will retire. One day you will retire. <laughs> keep, keep hanging on. Okay? <laughs> One day it'll all be over. <laughs> you don't have to worry, okay? But when you stop doing that work, are you still that? 
You're not practicing as a nurse or a doctor anymore. Are you still a nurse or a doctor? Only if you choose to see yourself that way. <laughs> because you bring all that you know. But you're not practicing, you're not licensed, so are you? Some people say, oh, we're married. But they're not married. They're living common law. And they don't have that piece of paper that says, oh, we're married. So in the eyes of the government, they're like, no, you know what? You guys aren't married. What defines who we are, how we see ourselves? I'm married today, you know. Tell me about yourself. Well, I work at a clinic. I have a wife. I have four kids, another one on the way. And I homeschool. Okay. What happens when my kids stop schooling with me? I'm not a homeschooler anymore. What happens if my wife and I are no longer together? Or God forbid, you know, I'm no longer married. I'm allowing all these roles to define who I am. You know, oh, I work at this place. What happens if I get fired? You know? <laughs> How will you define yourself? I feel so lost. I don't know what to do with myself. Blah, 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 blah. Why? You don't know who you are. But good news, friends, God knows who you are. So why do you have to freak out? Don't be anxious about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Why? Because you're talking to your maker. And he's got a message for you. And he doesn't want you to stress or fear anymore. How are you approaching scripture? How are you approaching God? Instead of saying, God, make this work out for me, you could say, God, you know what? You're the only one that's knowing what, you're the only one that knows what's going on in my life. So lead me and guide me and just push me in the right direction. Show me what you want me to do. Change what you need to change. <laughs> so I submit myself to you and your authority in my life, Lord God. Whatever your truth is, I want to know it. I want to live it. Just have your way in me because I'm done. I keep screwing things up. I don't know any better. But you do, God. Help me trust you more. Help me trust that you love me enough that you're not going to leave me where I am. Yeah? Do you see a sinner or a saint? You know, in the church we say, oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Woo! I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Who am I? Poor old me. But I show up every day with my church best and, you know, Try to prove to everybody I'm a faithful Christian. No, but I'm just a sinner to say by grace. Anywhere in the Bible, friends, does it tell you to keep looking at yourself as a sinner? I challenge you. Go and find somewhere in the Bible that says you are a sinner. It's not there. Guess why? Because God doesn't see you that way. Are we sinners because we sin? God says, I'm a saint. I'm a saint who sometimes stumbles. I'm a saint who sometimes sins. But I'm not a saint because of anything I've done. I'm a saint simply because of what God has done. See, we think that we're so important that what I do will change who God is toward me? Huh. Who am I? I'm nothing compared to God. He chooses to love me. That's his choice. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. 
does that mean you're going to be saved? It means you, you've been forgiven. Because God loves you, he forgives you. But does that mean you're going to be saved? Nope. He still loves you. He's forgiven you. But you can't save yourself based on what you do. And you can't send yourself to hell because of what you do. This is heavy stuff, guys. Let's process through it a bit. God loves you. He's forgiven you. It doesn't mean you're saved. Am I merely a sinner saved by grace or am I a saint? If you see yourself as a dirty old sinner who's been forgiven, it's going to hinder you from coming into all that God's given you as his child. Read that again. It's in your handouts, guys. If you see yourself as a dirty old sinner who's been forgiven, it's going to hinder you from coming into all that God's given you as his child. He adopts you as his child once you've been washed and cleansed. You don't eat at his table when you're still filthy. Right? God calls you, and he adopts you into his family, and you get to eat at his table once he's washed you clean of all the sin. So when he looks at you, he doesn't see a sinner. He sees his child. He sees a saint. Friends, I challenge you today. Pray before God and ask him, Lord, am I a sinner or am I a saint like you said? What did God really say? How you view yourself will have great impact on how you experience this relationship with God. Let's look at it this way. Somebody's struggling with sexuality. And a lot of Christians will use scripture to speak against their lifestyle and they say did you know god hates this let's talk about homosexuality god hates homosexuality he loves the people because he doesn't see a homosexual he sees a person But a person chooses to identify as homosexual, and their entire life is viewed through that lens. So when they approach scripture, they're not coming as a child ready to receive something from their father. They're coming with, I'm a homosexual, I'm going to read this through my homosexual lens and see what God really has to say about homosexuals, because I identify as a homosexual. And then they come across a passage in the Bible that says, one of the things God despises is a homosexual acts. And they're like, well, you know what? I'm trying to be a good Christian, so I'm not acting on my homosexuality. But it's still in me, and I still feel that God hates me. Is that true? Does God hate him? No, God loves him. God loves her. You're no better than that person who's struggling. We all struggle with something. When you have hatred in your heart, guess what? You're a murderer. You know, you do something wrong once, it ends up on the internet, and nobody's going to hire you. 
they, they say this is who you are, you're a pedophile, you've been that your whole life, and that's what you'll always be, and that's all you'll ever be. And you're defined by that one act, based on what you do. I praise God that he doesn't judge us based on what we do. He washes us clean of all the sin. He doesn't say you have to be a sinner still. He calls you a saint. He wants you to see yourself differently instead of being condemned over and over again for the one mistake you made. Homosexuality is not an identity. <laughs> it's an issue. You know what else is an issue? Alcoholism and drunkenness. You know what else is an issue? Poor stewardship and gambling. You know what else is an issue? Gossip. You know what else is an issue? Shopping too much. These are issues. Right? But we identify ourselves as, well, I'm a shopaholic, I'm an alcoholic, I'm a workaholic, this is who I am, this is who I am, this is how I identify, this is me. And that's the message of the world, this is me. And the world wants to limit you, that that's all you'll ever be. And God wants to free you. He wants to free you from those perceptions that you have of yourself. Why? Because that's keeping you in bondage. Jesus came to set the captives free. You are no longer sinners, friends, when you've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, when you've allowed his spirit to come and live in your heart and lead you and guide you through his truth. You are a saint. That's how God sees you, not my words. Sadly enough, I might look at some of you and still judge you <laughs> and say, you're no saint, but that's wrong of me. The moment we do that as a church, judging one another, saying, no, you're still a sinner because you still sin. We are not living the way that God is calling us to live. We're keeping people in bondage. We're not being used by God. We're being used by our father of lies, the devil. A forgiven sinner is a person who has been forgiven, but is still in bondage to sin. Jesus tells us that if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. We are legally freed from the power of sin, but we can remain in bondage to sin due to our own ignorance of the truth. Our own ignorance of the truth. Because it's only as we know the truth that the truth will set us free. But if we're ignorant of that truth, we will still be in bondage to sin. Okay? God cleared it out so that sin would have no power over you anymore. My daughter hates her car seat. She hates it. I mean, she'll sit in it. It's not, it's not so bad, but she also likes to buckle herself in. So we try to buckle her in. But if I'm the one that tries to buckle her in, she squirms, no, 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 because she wants to do it. So I'm like, fine, buckle yourself in. And she's buckled in and she's happy. And then it's time for us to unbuckle her. So I unbuckle her and it's time to leave the car and she wants to stay where she is. No, 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 and she buckles herself back in again. And she stays there, I'm like, daughter, listen, you're free. 
let's go. You don't have to stay here anymore. Let's go. No, no. And her favorite word right now is no, and I hate it. We just took a car trip for eight hours, a road trip. When was that? On, on Thursday. And the whole time is no, no, Elmo. No, no, Elmo. Those are the only two words she said the whole trip. But you look at that, and that's how we are a lot of the time. God frees us from our situation, and we're like, no, I don't want to go. I'm comfortable here. No, I don't want to go. I've grown accustomed to this. No, let me stay here, God. And God's like, no, I love you too much. I'm not going to leave you here by yourself. I'm not going to leave you strapped into your sin. He unchains you. He unbuckles you. He lets you free. How do you respond? Are you free? You're still sitting in that car seat, but are you free? What's the truth? Yes, you're free because God set you free. What's your reality? You're still chained up because you're stuck there. You're comfortable. You don't want to leave. That's your reality. But what's the truth? The truth is what God does. The truth is what God says. Your reality is just your experience of God's truth. Look at these verses here. God tells us he loves us with an everlasting love. Tells us that we are adopted into his family. He always planned it to be that way. And that there's nothing we can do that will separate us from his love. What beautiful letters we get in the Bible. What a beautiful message. Did you know the church in Corinth was like the wickedest church? <laughs> right? Their experience of life, their culture was just so rich that it drowned out so much of what God's truth wanted for their life. And even though they were dwelling there, you know, they, they had to be written twice. That's why we have First and Second Corinthians. Because the message of God still had to come back to these people. Okay? They were stubborn. But not once in those letters did God condemn them for how they were. He actually called them saints. Even the wickedest believers God calls a saint. Okay. He doesn't want to condemn you, friends. He wants to wake you up to this new reality, a reality experience as you are soaked in his truth. How do you see yourself as a sinner or a saint? How do we see how God sees us? Let's look at this verse in Romans, uh, Romans 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So we're all trying to figure out, God, what do you want? What's your will? Right? Um, you can't figure it out until this has happened. Right? You have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will know God's will. You want to know God's will? kind of approach the Bible and just say, okay, what did God say his will is? Let me just look for it. And you proof text and you try to pull out scripture that will support whatever you think God's saying. <laughs> Very clear. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will know the things of God because his spirit reveals it to you. Let's look a little bit closer here. Um, the message paraphrase. If you look in your handouts, Chris, could you read that for us? The same verse, different, a different paraphrase here. 
Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Isn't that beautiful? Here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23. It says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Our mind is more than just our brain and what we choose to think about. But our minds, friends, there's a spirit in your mind. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind, your attitudes, all those things that need to change. All the tapes that you allow to play over and over, the voices that you hear in your head that condemn you, that keep you where you are. You know what? The spirit of your mind needs to be renewed. We have to let go of all the tapes, all the lies. Remember we talked about that hostile environment and God's word coming into that hostile environment? The more and more we keep feeding on the good of God's truth, the more and more we will flush out all the toxins and the junk that are stuck in us spiritually in the spirit of our minds, okay? There's only one other passage, that word renewal, the Greek word that's used there is used only one other time in all of Scripture and is found in Titus chapter 3, verse 5. God saved us not by works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. The renewal of the Holy Spirit. And we see here that the renewal of our minds has to do with the work of God's Spirit in us. We can't be transformed because of what we do. It doesn't mean go to church more, go to more Bible studies, stop watching Netflix and instead listen to sermons. No, none of that counts if you're not being regenerated and you're not being renewed by God's Holy Spirit. It's the work that God's doing in you, friends, that's going to change you from the inside out. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, and 4, verse 4. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate, gaze upon the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So how are we being transformed? As we gaze upon the Lord with unveiled faces. That, that phrase, where that comes from, remember Moses came down from Mount Sinai after having met with God. And he shone with such a radiance because God's glory had met him where he was. And he came to speak God's word to God's chosen people. But when he came down, they said, he's too bright, it's too much glory. So he needed to put a veil over his face, and they said, cover yourself with a veil and just speak what God told you, because this glory is too much for us. Remember in the temple, there's a veil separating the holy place from the most holy place, and the glory of God was known to be in that most holy place. And his glory, he was protecting people from that, but people had a darkened understanding because God's glory wasn't penetrating them. Okay? Okay? but we with unveiled faces, without anything blocking us, because God's presence is now with us as his spirit 
falls on us, as his spirit makes his home with us. He's revealing his truths to us, so there's nothing blocking us anymore. As we contemplate and gaze upon God's glory, his word, his truth, that's when we are transformed, okay? Into his image with ever-increasing glory. Let's look at 4, verse 4. The God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glo glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Who is the God of this age? Satan, the devil, the dark forces, okay? That is the God of this world, okay? The God of this age blinds the mind of unbelievers because he doesn't want them to see the light. You know that song we sing, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. All we're meant to do is to reflect the light of God, friends, that as we contemplate and think on the things of God and gaze upon his glory and what he cares about, learn his heart, learn his ways, the more time we spend there, friends, he can start changing us from the inside out. Okay? Before we close, I want you to just look at your sidebar. Here's a little quote from John Piper. The spirit must work from the inside out, breaking the hard heart that blinds and corrupts the mind. It's our hard heart, okay, that blinds and corrupts the mind. The spirit must work from the outside in through Christ-exalting truth and from the inside out through truth-embracing humility. If he only worked from the outside in by presenting Christ-exalting truth to our minds, but not breaking the hard heart and making it humble, then the truth would be rejected. And if he only humbled the hard heart, but put no Christ-exalting truth before the mind, there would be no Christ to embrace, and no worship would happen. Friends, did you know because we were created for God's glory, it means our lives are meant to worship him, exalt him, to make him known. That's why we exist. That's why he created us in his image. And it's God's spirit that is transforming us into his image. Stop trying to do all the good works. Stop trying to be righteous in your own strength. You will fail, you will fall, and it will all be worthless if you do not accept Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. If you do not allow his spirit to come into your heart and lead you and guide you into all things. Does that mean you will not sin anymore? You'll still fall. You'll still stumble. But God is a great I am. It means he is right there with you. That song we sang earlier, there will be another in the fire, another in the waters. No matter where you go, God is there with you. And he is saving you from the impossible things. Let's look at this song on the right hand by uh, Kate Wilkinson. I love this. Let this be a prayer for all of us today, friends. May the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from day to day. 
by his love and power controlling all I do and say. May the word of God dwell richly in my heart from hour to hour, so that all may see I triumph only through his power. May the peace of God my Father rule my life in everything, that I may be calm to comfort sick and sorrowing. May the love of Jesus fill me as the waters fill the sea. Him exalting, self-abasing, this is victory. May I run the race before me, strong and brave to face the foe, looking only unto Jesus as I onward go. May his beauty rest upon me as I seek the lost to win. And may they forget the channel, seeing only him. Romans 8, verses 5 to 6. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Friends, set your mind on Christ's Spirit and allow yourself to be transformed into his likeness. May God bless you all as you continue to seek him through his word. May your intent and the lens that you look through be one that is pure to God so that he will reveal himself to you. Let's not come with selfish hearts, but hearts that are humbled to his will and allow God to change you from the inside out, friends, so that you can live your life worshiping him and glorifying him all of your days. Let's all worship together.